0: Today's verse is from James 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, John, and thank you, Jan, for reading God's word to us. Reading from this letter, it's the letter of James. Two things I love about the book of James. One, it's practical, and two, it's very direct. And there are reasons for that. James wants to help Christians walk out their faith. He's out to help us walk out what we believe in the real day to day. So he does this by telling us what faith in action looks like. Practically. As one teacher puts it, James tells us what the gospel looks like when it takes root in your heart and works itself out. James is practical. He also communicates very directly. Remember Mary Poppins said, uh, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. James disagrees. He says, you have no need of sugar. Simply take this medicine. He gives us some medicine here, and some of it feels harsh. It tastes harsh. We may even push back against it. But make no mistake, James is speaking in love. If you read through this book of James again and again and again, you'll see that he refers to his readers as beloved. He's writing to those he loves deeply. And so if there's any harshness here, if there's any directness, and there is, it's because there's urgency. You see, he's not just practical, he's direct. At least in part, it's because he wants us to, to honestly assess whether we really understand and believe the gospel in the first place. It's an important thing to determine. He wants to help us see if we have what one teacher called just a mere profession of faith or whether we really have true possession of faith. Is it just a mere profession that we believe or do we have possession, true belief in Christ? He wants us to help us see if we've got that true living faith And so he is super direct about it. And what we're looking at today is no exception. So in chapter 3, James just got through teaching us about the use of our words last week. And in in verse 18, he segues into a very much related topic, wisdom. Wisdom. And as you might expect, he comes in very hot. Look at verse 13. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you by his conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You see what he's saying? You think you're wise? Show me. Show me. Don't tell me about how wise you are. Step up and show me how wise you are. How's that for direct? He's calling us out, right? It it may be that James was speaking specifically to people who were teachers who had set themselves up as wise instructors James is saying if you're a wise instructor step forward and let me let me check your qualifications let's see if you really measure up remember he did say earlier that not many of us should become teachers because we know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness it's a heavy passage as I shared last week James takes that seriously but I think he's not just talking to teachers, he's talking to all of us. He's saying if you believe yourself to be wise or if other people view you as wise, let's see if that's really true. So let's take a, and again, he's asking that because it matters urgently. So let's take some time to process what James is saying here. And to do that, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna ask some questions today, all right? Simple questions. What does wisdom look like? What does fake wisdom look like? And how do we get wisdom? If you have a, a, a bulletin, it'll be in there, those points. What does wisdom look like? What does fake wisdom look like? And how do we get wisdom? So let's go. First and uh, first all, first question, what does wisdom look like? Wisdom is more than knowing things, isn't it? Wisdom is more than the ability to learn facts and take in information and pass the exam at the end of the semester. Wisdom has to do with how one applies what they know. Wisdom is the ability to take what you know, what you've learned, and put it to good use. Not just put it to use, but put it to good use. So it's not less than knowledge. It requires information, but it goes beyond all that. And it enables you to to take information and use it in, in difficult situations. So when you have to choose between multiple options, wisdom helps you to decide between what is good and what is bad, but also between what is good and what is better, or what is better and what is best. Wisdom helps you know which truth to apply in a particular situation, in a particular conversation. Which truth should I speak? Wisdom also helps you to know how to speak that truth and when to speak it. I think it was my father who's sitting right there who told me long ago, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom means knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Corny but true. Yuck, who wants, who wants, I admit that it's a fruit, but who wants to eat it in a fruit salad? You see, knowledge puts a good use what good is information and facts and truth unless we know how to put them to good use? The ability to use what we know, it, it, it's, it's not only, wisdom helps us not only to put information to use for our good, as we're going to see, but for the good of others and for the glory of God. That's true wisdom. And that's why many, including some teachers that you might know, like Tim Keller and Ray Ortland, they, they've called wisdom, the skill of living well. The skill of living well. Wisdom enables you to take what you've learned and use it to navigate life in this broken, sin-ridden world. And it helps you to manage decisions in the real world. So yes, it is the skill of living well. And that's well in God's eyes, by the way. It's not living well by our culture's eyes. Because King Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it starts. It starts with acknowledging who God is and what my relationship to him is. The psalmist echoes that. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So wisdom, true wisdom, it requires that you and I know who God is and that we fear him And that's not a cringing fear that would cause you to to, to hide or to run away from him. It's not being scared, necessarily. But it's an astonished awe before him, knowing that he rules, not you. That he is creator, not you. He's holy, not you. He possesses all power and knowledge and all wisdom, not you. In fact, He will judge, not you. See, it's a fear that leads to reverence, a fear that leads to obedience, and it leads to worship. You see, knowing facts isn't wisdom. But knowing God, not just knowing facts about him, but knowing him personally, being in a covenant relationship with him, that's the beginning of wisdom. Knowing him intimately and personally, it begins to give you the ability to judge, like I said, between options, to know how to navigate sticky situations, to know how to bring peace in the midst of conflict. And it equips you for countless other types of situations. But this definition for wisdom that I've given you, it's not in James, at least not explicitly. James doesn't give us a definition, so let's see what James tells us about wisdom, okay? He doesn't give us a definition, not really, but he does give us a description. He tells us what wisdom looks like. So let's see what wisdom looks like. He does this, by the way, because he knows that if you really want to know if someone is wise, you need to look at his or her life. Not just their words. Not just their sermons. Not just... They're published articles, but you must look at their life. Look at what verse 13b says. By his good conduct, or good living, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is shown, not by what you know, but by how you live. Back in chapter 2, James said, you must show your faith through your works. You remember this? If you have faith, show your faith by the way you live. If you can't do that, then your faith is dead. He says it's useless. The same goes for wisdom, if it is true wisdom. And just as faith without works is dead, wisdom without works, without a life to back it up, wisdom that without good fruits, it's fake wisdom. But real wisdom is demonstrated by conduct. So what does it look like? We have to jump down to verse 17 where James says, But the wisdom from above, here's what wisdom looks like. It is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. We've got a, got a list of, of adjectives here or, or adjectival phrases in some cases. And, and what is he telling us through this list? He's saying wisdom... First of all, it's pure. What does that mean? I mean, it's not corrupted by sin. It hasn't been, it hasn't been corrupted by evil. It's, this kind of wisdom is morally good. It's not amoral or morally indifferent. It is morally good. Secondly, this kind of wisdom is peaceable. Peaceable. This means that if you have this kind of wisdom, then you love peace and you pursue peace. Not just personally, but within the community where God has placed you. That means within your home, you pursue peace. Within your church, you go after peace. You seek to maintain it in the workplace. You don't, it doesn't mean you avoid conflict. That's not what he's talking about. That's not wise. But, but when you see conflict, what do you do? Add to the drama? <laughs> no, when you see conflict, you move towards it to work for harmony to work for reconciliation, not more discord. You see, wisdom equips you to pursue peace with those around you. It makes you a peacemaker. And blessed are the peacemakers, not a divider. Uh, An instigator is not wise. The one who likes to create drama, that's a sign of the absence of this kind of wisdom. The one who sows division with their words, Also, is not wise perhaps you know someone people who maybe in your family or somewhere else they 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 think they're wise but and maybe even other people see them as wise but they always seem to be in conflict always seem to be either stirring up trouble or somehow involved in it and not helping true wisdom is peace-loving And true wisdom is gentle. That's the next one, gentle. Back in verse 13, James refers to the meekness of wisdom. And it's a similar word here in verse 17. This this kind of wisdom, there's a certain kindness about it. There's a a humility about it. And and by the way, this kind of wisdom and, and these kinds of virtues, meekness, humility, these were not virtues in the time and place where James lived. <laughs> I'm not sure they've been looked at as virtues today, but they certainly weren't looked at as virtues then. They were looked down upon. They were a sign of meekness? That's a sign of weak gentleness? That's a sign of weakness. People in first century Roman Empire would say, now what do you think of gentleness and meekness? Some of us might say it's a sign of weakness too. Not true, of course. We might think of meekness and gentleness. Yeah, that's fine, I suppose, for some people. Maybe those those, those are, you know, kind of feminine virtues. Don't hate me. I don't believe that. I'm just saying it. Those are feminine virtues. No, these are as masculine as they are feminine. These are godly virtues. Jesus is gentle and meek. You don't believe me? Read 2 Corinthians 10:1, where he's described with those very words. Gentleness and meekness marked this man so that people were astounded by it when they saw him. The authority and the power joined with a gentleness. His followers called, are called to be meek and gentle too. Back in chapter 1, verse 21, James says, receive with meekness the implanted word. He's saying as you, as you receive God's word, do it with meekness, with a humility. That, that's a sign of wisdom. And truly wise people are humble. And the, the fact is that true wisdom produces that kind of humility. Next thing he says, going through the list, he says wisdom is open to reason. This good wisdom, this true wisdom, it's open to reason. That means... Look, this kind of wise person is willing to change their mind. (laughs) They're willing to be persuaded by a reasonable argument. They're not arrogantly stubborn. Lord, how many of us, we talked a little bit about this last week, how many of us will hold on to an argument and we won't let go, this is what I believe and it's not going to change, even though you show me 15 reasons why it should. That's not wisdom, it's the opposite so open to reason. Open to reason. Also, he says it's full of mercy. This kind of wisdom is full. Will, it's willing to serve others with what you have, with your resources. The truly wise person doesn't ignore the needs of others and live for self. Merciful. Nor does the truly wise person, uh, uh, they're not out to, to punish and shame and judge with harshness. Oh, they desire to show mercy. This kind of wisdom is impartial. What does it mean to be impartial? Remember James writes about this earlier in his letter. Impartiality, it means you don't treat, you treat people the same, you you treat them the same. You don't treat some people extra well because you think they're important. Or because, or, 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 really, because you think you're going to get something out of it. That by by getting close to and showing respect to this powerful person, somehow some of that power is going to run over onto me. There's going to be some benefits. No, this kind of wisdom doesn't treat people according to how important you think they are, what they can do for you. And this kind of wisdom is sincere. He ends with that word, it's sincere. You know what that word means literally? It means not playing a part, no mask, not playing a role. I, I, as much as, I kind of I don't like this word, but it works. This kind of wisdom is authentic. I don't like it because I think it gets overused. It's a fine word, but I think it gets overused. It's, it's, it's authentic. The, the truly wise person is the same in public as they are in private. They're not double-minded or two-faced. You get one person here. They're not going to treat you one way and then talk about you differently when you're not around. They're not going to live secret lives. In June, later this year in the spring and into the summer, uh, our faithful New Hope Fellowship deacons will be up for renewal. That is, our, our church bylaws call them to serve a 3 year term, or up to a three-year term, and then be voted in, um, or not, or renewed. Um, And we've talked about this before when we've talked about deacons. We've said that what we're looking for in deacons is really based on what 1 Timothy 3 teaches us, where we get a, a clear list of the qualifications for that role. But we at New Hope have said there are four C's that we're looking for. It's character, it's conduct, convictions, and competence. Character, who are they? Conduct, how do they live? Convictions, what do they believe? And lastly, and it's intentionally last, is competence. How skilled are they at the job? Now does competence matter? Of course it matters, but it's at the bottom of that list for a reason, because, the, because character matters most. Skills can be taught. They can be learned. Character matters most. And how do we see character? How can we observe character if not through conduct? The life lived out before a community. So according to James, this is what, and I mention that because that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at these, at these brothers and sisters and, and, and thanking God for them. But even as we think about other future deacons in the church, we think about elders in the church, this is what we want to remember. This is what matters. According to James, that is what wisdom looks like. And it's attractive, isn't it? It's compelling. We want to know people like this, don't we? I want to be around a person who holds up against all these descriptors. Do you want to be a person like this? you want to be a person like this? Hmm. That's what wisdom looks like. What does fake wisdom look like? Or what does counterfeit wisdom look like? James has something to tell us about this too. And it's helpful because when we look at the counterfeit, it helps us to identify the real, the authentic. There, I use the word again. Verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy, verse 14, if, but if you have bit bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, listen, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. James describes false wisdom this way. First of all, it's earthly. What does that matter? It might mean it's earthly. It means it's only concerned about the things of this world. And really, it's, it's learned, it comes from just this world. It's, it's not concerned about eternity and it doesn't have eternal value. It's bound to this earth, to this present system. And, and this kind of this kind of wisdom, it serves your immediate needs. Like, your immediate desires, physical, emotional, it meets those needs, like, like briefly, for right now, while you're on earth, but it doesn't serve your eternal good, and it certainly doesn't serve anyone else's eternal good. It's earthly. He also says it's unspiritual. Unspiritual. What does that mean? The opposite of spiritual means, like, carnal, fleshly. It's just like, there, think about it this way. There is nothing spiritual about this kind of wisdom. Because it's not from the spirit. It's, like I said, carnal. And and here's what I mean by that it it means that it satisfies your most base physical desires, but does no spiritual good for you or for anyone else. It, It only values, this kind of wisdom only values what you can see, what you can physically feel, whether it's sexual satisfaction, whether it's money whether it's power that you can sway, use to sway others, whether it's possessions. It gets you those things, but it has no spiritual value. Lastly, and this might be the most shocking one, he says it's also demonic. That means it's from Satan, which means it's built on lies. It's, it's, It's all a lie, this kind of wisdom. That's why I call it fake and counterfeit. How do I know that? I know that because Satan always lies. That's all he does. His wisdom is, is fueled by lies. He, he lies to us about how to live. He lies to us about what matters. He lies to us about what we really need and, and what we should want and what we should do to get that. What will make your life good is this. And it's always wrong. This kind of wisdom will lead you to do not the will of God, but to do the will of the enemy. It is demonic. You see, this, this counterfeit wisdom. And by the way, maybe some of you have heard the, the phrase in the past that um, uh, you've heard the, 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 the kind of three-word phrase, the world, the flesh, and the devil, that as Christians, that's what kind of what we're up against. Uh, we're fighting against our own fleshly sins, like body, the flesh, like, our phys- like the sin that's in here. But then also we're fighting against the sin that's out there in the world, and we're also fighting against the enemy, the devil, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil, we're fighting against all of it. That's where this phrase comes from, just so you know. It comes from these three descriptors of fake wisdom, earthly, unspiritual, demonic, So as we push back against that kind of wisdom and and, and reject it, what we're doing is we're rejecting the evil wisdom of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Verse 14 says that this counterfeit wisdom, here's how it shows up. It shows up as bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Like where this wisdom is being lived out, you've got lots of, Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. That can be in your own heart. That can be in the community where you're in, your home, your church. Think about that. That's the kind of conduct that this fake wisdom produces. Bitter jealousy. Bitter jealousy. I want what he has or what she has. And and the fact that I can't get it makes me so angry. So bitter. And in fact, I I hate that person who has what I want. That's what this wisdom produces. This counterfeit wisdom produces selfish ambition. It's rooted in selfish ambition. That's what Satan's about, isn't he? He's the most selfishly ambitious one around. Selfish ambition says, I will do whatever I need to get what I want. My advancement is more important than anything. So I will sacrifice anything to get it. I'll sacrifice my family. I'll sacrifice you. I will run over you. I will compromise my integrity and the truth. And it's worth it. That's what this fake wisdom tells us. You will be willing to lose anything to get that one thing you really want. Not realizing that that one thing and all the sacrifices you're making to get it are going to destroy you. Don't we all naturally kind of tend towards both of these things? Don't we naturally want everything to be about us? I feel that way often. Why is this person in my way? Why is someone in the bathroom? I'm supposed to be in there. Why is this person driving so slow in front of me? Don't they know that I need to get where I want to get. Don't, doesn't everybody on this parkway understand that it's about me? And, and, and maybe that kind of mentality, we wouldn't say those words, but sometimes we live that way. And that mentality can even seep into our conversations. Like, let's talk about me. You know? Or enough about me. What do you think about me? And, and the culture we live in, it reinforces that kind of mentality, you know? It reinforces the, 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 the you know, the, whether it's the, the ads that pop up on our, on our screen. The, the fact is that even sermons can enforce this, reinforce it. If they're making you think that God is all about making you happy. You're at the center and it all revolves around you. False wisdom. Is that you? Maybe you wouldn't say that. But, but I'm drawing kind of a caricature of it, right? But it can look a lot more subtle. The selfish ambition, the bitter jealousy. Think about this. This was helpful to me. Another, another pastor kind of led me down this trail to think through this question. And it was helpful to me. And so I want to ask you, Think for a moment about your ambition and your goals. Maybe think about what your ambitions and goals are for 2020. What are they? What are the top ones? And then ask yourself, are they all about me? I mean, maybe not just you, but maybe just you and your the closest ones to you, your family maybe, but really mostly about you. <laughs> John Stott, who is, a, um, who is a, a wonderful teacher, scholar, recently deceased, wrote a book about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And in that book, he draws this distinction, which is helpful. Again, another pastor showed me this, and I want to share it with you because I benefited from it. He led me into that, to, to, to look at that book. Um, he draws this distinction between primary ambitions and secondary ambitions. And he says, your primary ambitions, because you were made in the image of God, your primary ambitions are always meant to be about God. Now, your secondary ambitions can be about you. But why are they secondary? It's not just a matter of priority. Think about it this way. The primary ambitions about God, the secondary ambitions, well, they're the things that I want to do that will help me But think about it this way. Is it wrong for you to desire a successful career or a promotion? Absolutely not. Is it okay to want financial stability for you and to pass that on to your children and pass on opportunities to your children? There is nothing wrong with that. But none of those are meant to be a primary, ultimate aim. That's meant to be secondary ambition. Your primary ambition, if you are a follower of Christ, must be his glory, his kingdom. Your ambition must be to honor him, to know him, to love him more, and to make much of him through your life. You see, if if the ultimate aim is God's glory, then even those secondary ambitions, promotion, financial stability, marriage, whatever, all those secondary ambitions, they get submitted to the primary one. They're under the primary one, but they're connected so that your success, your status, they aren't just a way for you to feel better about yourself and to find identity or build an empire. No, those secondary ambitions are also about giving glory to God. Even as you enjoy his gifts and you do those things you want to do, in doing it, you're also Seeking to fulfill that primary ambition, glorifying him with that promotion, with that marriage, with that money. When your primary ambitions are all about you, that's what James calls selfish ambition. And it always leads to bitter jealousy when you don't get what you want. So counterfeit wisdom says that's fine, living for yourself is, it makes sense. You are out for yourself, and that's fine. Do you. And everything else and everyone else, it must be in second place, including Jesus, second place. So James is saying, listen, James is saying, if you're doing life this way, with you at the center, your desires, your goals, primarily about you, 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 he says, if you're living this way, God calls it earthly Unspiritual, demonic. It's not wisdom. But our world calls it wise. The world says that envy is good because it motivates you, it's good for the economy. Selfishness fuels ambition. If you're selfish, that makes you work harder. So cultivate that selfishness so that you will work harder. It's healthy. That kind of living, look, it's rewarded. It's celebrated. It's envied. You can make millions and even get elected president with that kind of wisdom. No? But some people some people possess wisdom because they can con others. They can manipulate others. They can climb over well and they can they can build something. And the world looks at that and says, "Wow. You were able to find power and comfort and wealth. You must be wise." James says, if that's you, don't think you're wise, don't boast. Because according to the Bible, selfish ambition actually blocks wisdom. Selfish ambition sets up a wall against wisdom. You see, the, the barriers for us that keep us from being more wise, it's not a lack of education. It's not lack of experience. It's self-absorption. And that's what he said. He calls it demonic. I can't get over that, frankly. I kept coming back to that over and over again as I study this passage. And it made me think, you know, Satan worshiped himself and wanted to be God. He wanted to be at the center. And and and, and now he wants to make you make the same fatal mistake. Because he's gonna perish. He wants you to perish too. That's the irony. This fake wisdom, it it promises to serve you, but it doesn't. While true wisdom does lead to peace. In fact, at the end of this passage, we see that true wisdom leads to a harvest of peace. For you and for those around you. Counterfeit wisdom, what does it lead to? Earthly wisdom, look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be not peace, but quite the opposite. Disorder and every vile practice leads to chaos. It leads to disorder. It leads to hyper-competitiveness. The fact is it leads to a disorder in our own hearts, in our own lives, but also in our homes and in our churches where we work. In our nation, it does nothing but create chaos. God's wisdom brings order out of Disorder. This false wisdom does the opposite. It leads to chaos. Can't you think of unwise or selfish decisions that you've made that created disorder? For instance, you make a decision and it messes up your relationship. And now you don't know how to fix that relationship. Have you ever made a decision that brought disorder to your home? what wisdom rooted in selfish ambition always does. The fact is that you and I will be miserable as long as we think that we matter most. And our relationships, relationships will be broken. When you are first in your marriage, at the center of your marriage, it's going to be a disorderly marriage and it will break down. In the workplace, in relationships with children, Confessed this to my son recently that I was, I was upset about something. I was so so upset. And I realized I'm, my, 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 my pain here and my anger isn't so much about what this person in my family did and that that's dangerous for them and unwise. You know what I was angry about? They did it to me. So I, here I am, and thinking that I'm in this place of righteous anger, addressing sin in my home. And I realize, no, 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 no. This is earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom that's at play here. Because really, what's driving me is a selfish ambition that says, no one in my family will do that to me. I deserve better than that. The fact is it's not about me and it's not about you, it's about him and that's the fruit of real wisdom. The fruit of real wisdom is is peace. It's an environment where God is rightfully at the center and we all peacefully have our places around that center. Thirdly and lastly, and this is fast, how do we get wisdom? How do we get wisdom? First of all, James says in verse 15, he says in verse 17, it's from above. (laughs) It's wisdom from above. That's what real wisdom is. So what does that mean? It's not from in here. It's not deep inside. It's not look inside and find that wisdom. No, it's from above. It's from outside, which means it's a gift. It's received from God. In James 1, 17, he says, every good and perfect gift is from above. And that includes wisdom. We, (laughs) We get it handed to us in a sense. That doesn't mean we don't work towards it, but it means ultimately it's not coming from in here. It's coming from him. He's giving it. Second of all, look at, look at the list in verse 17 again. Look at that list. We looked at it before. He said, wisdom is pure and peaceable and gentle and open of reason and it's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. Maybe you notice that's not just a description of wisdom. That's Jesus. The embodiment of wisdom. He is pure. He was holy and without sin. He's reasonable. Oh, is he open to reason? He says to sinners, come, let's reason. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. And he is gentle and meek. In fact, he's so meek that he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross to shoulder our sin and our impurity. And and does he love peace? Does he ever love peace? He is the peacemaker. He's the prince of peace. He He is full of mercy for you. In fact, he was willing to die to make peace between you and the Father. To bring you into the family. Oh, does he have mercy for us? He's always sincere. Every promise can be trusted. Receive him, receive him, and know him, and you will know eternal life. How do we get this wisdom? Yes, it must be received, but how is it received? It's received by receiving Christ. You see, the more we're praying for wisdom, the more we're praying for more of Christ, more of his spirit, more to know him more, for his mind, for his perspective, for his heart. That's what we need. So how do we get wisdom? We only get it by coming to Jesus. Now practically speaking, James doesn't really give us like, follow these steps and you will become more wise. He doesn't give us that level of practicality. But I, not, At least not explicitly, but I think that if we look closely, we can see some practical steps here. And so I want to give them to you, just three. We're going to stay right here in James. First of all, just practically speaking, You want to grow in wisdom? I want to grow in wisdom. Let's evaluate our ambitions. Let's think about what what those primary goals are, maybe even for 2020, and, and who are those goals about. James wants us to do this, he's encouraging us towards this. And ask God to reorient us so that those goals, if they need to shift, they will shift so that our primary ambitions are fixed on the glory of our God. And everything that we want for ourselves, for our family, is submitted under that and connected to that, a means by which we can bring more and more glory to God. Secondly, super practical. You want wisdom? Ask for it. Ask for it. Don't ask me for it. Don't ask. I mean, your parents can teach you wisdom. Ask them to teach you. Ask them to guide you in wisdom and to help you grow in understanding. But ultimately, really, the one we need to ask is God Himself. Because remember, it's from above. And in James 1 5, He says it plainly If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to Him. Without reproach, I love that little phrase in there. Without reproach, we ask for wisdom. God doesn't come and say, Here you go, dummy. finally came asking for it, stupid. He does not view us with that kind of condescension or reproach or or shaming. He looks at us and he says, yes, my child, I want to give you this gift. I know you need this gift, and I'll gladly give it to you. And remember, as we're asking for wisdom, what are we doing, really? We're asking for more and more of of Christ, to know him more, more of His spirit at work in us so that we're walking in the spirit, talking in the spirit, not talking out of earthly, unspiritual and demonic wisdom. And lastly, this comes out of James 2. It comes out of James chapter 1 verse 19. We want to grow in wisdom, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Go back and look at that passage, James 1:19, "Be quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger. That means quick to hear and slow to speak, even with those with whom we disagree. To meekly, humbly be open to reason. Listen. Listen. Be willing to be persuaded. Listen peaceably. Listen with the desire to maintain peace. Not to go on the attack. Not to belittle, not to shame, not to out-argue, but listen with the aim of, fostering peace. In this culture, the ability to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, I don't think they're valued too highly. I don't see it around very much. But that's what real wisdom looks like. And the Lord, by His Spirit, wants to build that in us. Real wisdom will not look wise to the world, will it? When the world looks at it, they say, that's foolish. <laughs> but as C.S. Lewis said, when the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind, but he is running in the path of safety. Wisdom results in a harvest of peace and eternal life. Let's ask God for it. Lord, you have told us that if we lack wisdom, and that's all of us, we should come to you and ask, and so we ask. Would you give it to us, Lord? Would you give it to us? Would you give it to parents in this church, and to spouses in this church, and to friends in this church, and to roommates in this church? Help them to walk in this kind of wisdom. Only you can give it. We ask that you would help us to pursue it being quick to hear and slow to speak slow to get angry with one another help us to evaluate closely our ambitions lord hold them under the scrutiny of your word guide us in the way everlasting in christ's name amen